As a pastor, I'm constantly concerned about how to create connections beyond just the weekend services. And one of the valuable tools that we have found for achieving this at our church is our app powered by Subsplash. It's one thing to have an app. It's another thing to have an app that has the ability to allow your community to access messages, resources, and even give. And Subsplash created that for us. It's become our go-to platform for connecting with our congregation in ways we never could have before. Subsplash is so much more than just a platform or even just an app. It brings people together, empowers giving, and transforms lives. If you're interested in learning more, I encourage you to visit their website at subsplash.com. That's S-U-B-S-P-L-A-S-H.com. Subsplash.com. Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Join us each week as we work to make faith simple. This is Simple Faith. Hey, well, thanks for listening, and I so appreciate you being a part of our listenership here. Invite a friend to join us. You can just simply share this podcast with them. Today, we've got a good one. When I was in Bible college several years ago, there was a professor that so caught my attention because of the way that he seemed to know God at a different level than I'd ever seen before. His thirst for knowledge and for reading, and more than just intellect, but for a deep connection of his soul with God was so captivating to me. And over the years, we've been able to stay in touch, and I often contact him for, hey, what should I be reading, and what book has soothed your soul? And he's so kind as to give us advice. In fact, he was on the podcast a few years ago during the COVID season. You can scroll back and take a listen to that one. But today, Dr. J.K. Jones, a pastor, a professor, an author, is with us to share his latest work, on understanding the house of the soul. I think you're going to love what he has to say. I think for many of us, the soul is simply some kind of ghost that flutters out of us after we die or is in a cartoon. But this is so much bigger, and his insight is going to be so great for us. I want to thank Subsplash for sponsoring the podcast. And here's my conversation with Dr. J.K. Jones. Dr. Jones, and I don't mean Indiana, welcome. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Tell us about yourself. It's been three years since we last talked. What have you been up to? Hey, Rusty, it, it is a delight. I mean that from the bottom of my chubby heart. Uh, it's just a joy to talk with you again. Uh, 2020 was our last conversation, and since then I had, in the fall of that year, I got COVID, and I thought I was a goner. Had a ventilator, had a room in the midst of all the decision-making surrounding the pandemic. I told Sue, I think I just want to die at home. And somehow God in his grace brought me through that. And uh, wow! since then, uh, I've transitioned away from Eastview Christian Church, where I was on staff, and most recently have transitioned away from Lincoln Christian University. Rusty, I don't even think I told you this, but at the front of the year, I just wasn't feeling well. So this is at the start of 2023, and I got diagnosed with a aggressive cancer, melanoma, and ended up having surgery, and it gave me more time. God's quirky way of working things out gave me more time to think and ponder and write, and so I... Uh, 
My short answer is I'm doing a lot of writing and I'd, I always wanted to have the space and the rhythm for putting some things down on paper. And I, I attempted to do it over the years, but I never got the kind of time I'm getting now. So, uh, so with cancer and COVID and kidney stones, boy, there's a story. I know how to have fun. <laughs> we, wow, that sounds like an exciting three years. <laughs> well, this book that uh, came out of your pain, uh, I got to tell you, I, I feel like I'm sitting back in your class uh, oh my goodness, 30 years ago, listening to you talk about ordering your private world and uh, uh, disciplines for the inner life and all these things that were just not even on my radar as a freshman in college. Uh, this book is called A Soul's House, A Primer for Spiritual Formation. Tell us about the book. It seems like it's a, it's a springboard from Evelyn Underhill's work, and you decided to take it a little further. Well, uh, just walk us through why this book. Hmm. Well, I'd always wanted to put something on paper that I thought was at least um, a doorway into the conversation about what it meant to follow Jesus, what it truly means to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and I wanted it to be readable. And among all the influences that people that have walked into my life and helped me to think intentionally about that, my grandmother, my mom's mom, was the first real spiritual director that I had. And when she passed away in the 1980s, I was looking around for, as I've said in other works, uh, a mentor of some kind. And I I think I found it in Evelyn Underhill's writings. I had read, it's not, Rusty, you and I have talked about this before. It's not that I've agreed with everything that she has said. I certainly don't do that. But her works, the spiritual life, her work uh, concerning the inner life, her work, the house of the soul, her work on mysticism that I know has been a lightning rod for a lot of people to be anti-Evelyn Underhill, and even her work on worship, those resources just, for whatever reason, they spoke into my heart and life, and it, particularly this metaphor, this image of the house of the soul, just resonated with me. And if, if I can just chase that for a second, I, I agreed with her when I first read her. She talks a bit about Paul's use of the the imagery of the temple. Uh, he uses it both uh, in community context, and then he uses it in the sense of our individual selves. Uh, it just made sense to me as she was talking about that. And I went back, and this was in 2018. I had two knee surgeries, and I thought, you know, I've never taken the time to look at the language of the soul in the scriptures, and so I'm in bed. I got lots of time to do this. I have my concordance out, and I looked up those 300 plus references to the soul, and it began to make more sense to me what Evelyn originally had talked about that our interior life perhaps is best understood as a house. And I went back and I looked at the, the temple language of the Old Testament. 
uh, from the start of the tabernacle to Solomon putting together an actual structure to Paul's picking up on that language. And I thought, man, that makes sense to me. There, there is a, a dwelling place for our triune God, and that dwelling place is clearly inside of us what she called the house of the soul. And I just thought, I'm going to run with that. That makes all kinds of sense to me. It's such a great image because for many of us, the soul is really a, um, oh, like the, the, the thing we see in cartoons that begins to float out when somebody gets, you know, shot by Daffy Duck or whatever. Yeah. It, it's such a, a weird, mystical, we don't even know how to describe it. After reading 300 verses about it, what's your understanding of the soul? Well, it's the place that inha- that God wants to inhabit. If in the Old Testament, the tabernacle or the temple personified the presence of God, how much more then when we invite Christ to move in and take over our interior world, the soul becomes that place that hosts um, our spirit, personality, our will, our desire for him to um, be the master, be the controller of that interior world. What you and I have talked about years ago, um, all of that becomes the place for uh, his full-throated presence to, to live within us. And she said, Evelyn talks about this, she says the upkeep uh, or the responsibility of that is ours, even though it's by grace that he moves in and sets up. And that that language isn't, she says, it's not too big an idea for any of us to embrace. And the whole idea of the soul being that dwelling place where all that God intended for us in Christ comes in and lives, that makes perfect sense to me. It's not difficult to comprehend. Hope I'm making sense. Oh, that's fantastic. I want to read your definition of spiritual formation, because this is such a, uh, uh, it's a, I don't want to say a faddish term, but we have certainly heard it a lot over the years in Christian circles. It's usually defined uh, as, well, when I was growing up, it was uh, read your Bible, pray, and go to church, but it's, it's bigger than that. You say it this way on page 25 of your book, God, the Holy Spirit, takes the initiative through various means in cooperation with our response, changes us to look like Jesus in order to serve others to the glory of God. I know you well enough to know that wasn't flippant. <laughs> that must have taken a long time to craft. What's, what's all made up in that? Honestly, Rusty, there are moments when I want to go back and, and edit it because it is you can't put it on a bumper sticker, and it just feels like it's cumbersome. But every time I attempt to surgically carve it a little bit, whittle it down, it loses something. And so there really are six strategic statements made there. God the Holy Spirit, he's the change agent. He takes the initiative. It's not our idea on our best day, we couldn't come up with what God intends for uh, for us in the person of Jesus Christ. So the Spirit takes the initiative. He uses all kinds of means 
Uh, even Evelyn in her book talks about God coming to us with his tools in hand, that he has this large toolbox that he uses. So the Holy Spirit takes the initiative. He uses various means. Uh, he has this desire that we cooperate with him, that he, it's important that we remember that he is he's taking the lead in this dance, but we have a we have a beautiful part in it. And then all, all those other pieces that I've added to it sometimes get lost in contemporary conversations about formation, particularly the serving piece. Uh, sometimes it sounds like spiritual formation is just about our our life and mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're picking lint from our own belly button here sometimes when we talk about it. But its intent was to go out and be it's really the second part of Jesus' teaching on loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. It, it really drills down into that second part. And then we all, I think, want it to be for his glory and his advancement, his purpose. And the, the definition, again, captures that. So it's probably bigger than it, it should be, but I don't know how else to talk about it in a robust way than... Yeah, I thought it was brilliant, and I I particularly love the last part of it because that seems to be what's missing so much in all of our Zen, Buddhism, pop psychology, self-help culture of it's just about um, getting out of pain, um, dealing with anxiety, dealing with myself, working on me. This is a prepping myself to be able to serve others in a greater way. Yeah. That's a much bigger vision for our lives. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're hitting on what I think the Reformers would applaud from Luther to Calvin to Zwingli and all the others who, who saw that we were so prone to putting into the center of our universe what Luther called this puny thing called self. And what we want to do is come ultimately to the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ, his bigness. We want that to work its way. I I was listening to a couple of guys argue the other day over whether formation is really about simply following Jesus or it's some kind of code language for self-help like you were talking about a second ago. But I try not to let that kind of debate take over, it does include, it certainly is, formation is certainly following Jesus, but it also has some very specific discipleship practices, which we're going to get into here a little bit this morning. Yeah. Um, Those are really essential to however you want to define formation. Our intentional practice or exercising or incorporation of holy habits, that becomes paramount to what we're talking about here. I want to jump into that, but one of the the quotes that you give here at the very beginning, and I'd be remiss to skip this because it's from uh, Dallas Willard, and that's actually actually Trevor Hudson quoting Dallas Willard. Uh, He says that he is pointed out that we live at the mercy of our ideas and we would be wise to reflect carefully on those that we have about God. Mm. 
It is interesting to me, and having done ministry now for 30 years, that the things that we think about God really shape us so much, whether it's a projection from our Father, from authority figures, uh, from what we were taught in Sunday school or lack thereof. I had a guy tell me yesterday at coffee, he said, you can tell me Jesus doesn't keep score, but I know he does. So there's no, <laughs> he was telling me there's no convincing me otherwise. Oh. These are the thoughts that he thinks. You know, talk about you know just the uh, the unwinding of some of these untruths that we have in order to be able to form the house of our soul. Yeah, the thing that you said earlier that often gets downplayed, Rusty, is the essential importance of staying tethered to the unfolding gospel story, which, from my vantage point, flows from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, clear to the end, to Revelation. And there's something about making sure that however we view the Jesus-following life, that we stay welded to the Scriptures. And I, I think that we end up coming up with rather anemic less than muscular understandings of what it truly means to be formed into Jesus' likeness if we don't stay tethered to Scripture, because it's in Scripture that we get this. It's sort of like what happened. I was a young man. I was stationed in Germany uh, years ago. I was in military service, and I wanted to see the Mona Lisa. And so I... uh, you know, got leave time away from uh, the the military base, went across the English Channel, uh, did some things in London. Then on my way back, I went to Paris, and I went to the museum and stood in line only to be, I hope I don't get shot for this, profoundly disappointed because I always thought the Mona Lisa's portrait would be huge, and it wasn't. and. Uh, I was even more captured by those, uh, I wish I had better understanding of the English language, but those those murals that went along the entire walls, sometimes our view of God is like standing in line and we see the Mona Lisa and we, we come away disappointed. It's only because we've looked at the wrong place. If we look at Scripture, it is, it's panoramic. It is colossal. and Tozer, particularly, and other writers like him, understood the the giant-sized nature of the character of God. And if we're going to land in the right place, then we have to have that. In many ways, Rusty, I'll use another analogy. I had never been to the Grand Canyon until I was adult. And I looked at the Grand Canyon. It's what happened to me the first time I saw the ocean. I simply wept. I couldn't believe its size. Mm -hmm. And when you come to Scripture and you read it with the right lens, the person of Jesus Christ, you say to yourself, oh my goodness, I had no idea he was that big. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that I want to embrace. He is far greater and grander than we can imagine. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. If you're a church leader and your church does not have an app or your app seems to be a little bit limited, Check out subsplash.com as a great resource to really give your app 
all the horsepower that it needs. You can connect people, you can help them get access to messages, and you can help them set up recurring giving, which is a game changer when it comes to resourcing your ministry. Subsplash.com. Okay, back to our episode. That's a perfect illustration. I love that because you're right. We usually do start with this very small idea and we miss it. It's so much bigger. Uh, I want to look at your table of contents. You've taught me this. That's how you read a book. You start there. You can usually whittle them away uh, as far as what you're going to read by looking at this. But you start, it seems like, the, the big end of the funnel. Let's get really broad here and talk about renovating the soul's house, understanding a little bit of what God is like, yeah. and then we start getting into the practices. Am I reading that right? Is that your goal as you kind of walk through this, uh, this book? Yeah, every time I write something, Rusty, I wish I had talked to more people, and I wish I had said it more <laughs> explicitly the way you just said it. it th- that, that was my idea. I wanted to start out with the oceanic view and then whittled it down to, I'm about a quarter of a mile from a little creek here called Kickapoo, and I wanted to whittle it down to Kickapoo's side where you could jump across the other side. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's still water, but the difference between the Pacific and Atlantic and the little Kickapoo Creek, they're not the same. And I was trying to get us to a place, get the reader to a place where they would say in their own soul, hey, this is possible. This is doable. I, I, I can, the things that JK is talking about, I can begin to practice. And so you've understood it perfectly. You said it better than I wrote it. Well, I don't know about that. Let's jump into some of the practices, because I think this is where everybody wants to get to. Tell me what I got to do. So uh, we've already mentioned prayer, Bible reading, go to church. Those are the ones that we're all kind of handed, but it's bigger than that. What are some of the the tools for tending the house that help us in our, our formation of the soul? Yeah, I'll start outside my book, even though I, I do quote this work, but there's a work out there for uh, your listeners, our listeners, called Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, and it's written by a, a wonderful godly woman by the name of Adele Alberg Calhoun. And for our listeners' sake, it's been reprinted. You want the expanded, revised version and in that book, I could my memory might not be exact. I think she ends up talking, Rusty, about 85 different spiritual practices. And it's so well written. I simply acknowledge it in the book. It's a, a great resource. Uh, overall, it's the one that I come back to. I pull it off my shelf periodically because each of the 85 or so of the habits, the exercises, the disciplines that she talks about, uh, she gives you a, a such a concise, manageable summary of how to practice them. So um, I'd start, for example, because I think a lot of people think about this today, I would start with thinking about walks as a holy habit, looking at creation. Uh, we're preoccupied right now in our, at least our North American culture, I know it's, it's important in, in, in a lot of places around the world, about how we care for what God has entrusted to us. Hmm. And so one of the holy habits, one of the simple little exercises that we can practice, Evelyn did it. 
I, we didn't say this, but one of the things that drew me to Evelyn was her her gardening practice. She was uh, she never traveled widely. Rusty, she did go to her favorite spot was to go to to uh, Switzerland or sometimes France. Um, but she loved to to. I don't mean to make this small, but she loved to fiddle with flowers and growing things. And you know my heart well enough that uh, if I had the authority to pull this off, I would I would encourage or mandate people who went off to prepare for ministry to somehow have a garden plot. Hmm. You, you learn something from paying attention to creation, planting something. Uh, where I'm, where I live right now in Central Illinois, it's my favorite month. If I have a favorite month, it's October because it's in this month that those farmers get to see the result of their attentiveness to planting that seed that they planted way back in uh, March and April. Now they're they're harvesting all these uh, soybeans and corn, and it's a wonderful time for them. A beautiful time. All I'm saying is that something happens to our soul when we're, we again take our eyes off ourselves and we pay attention to what God has created. In your neck of the woods out there in California, you have some splendid places to observe God's handiwork. And it's just a, it's a simple little practice that could be as easy to incorporate as taking a morning walk. And simply thanking God for what you see, what you observe, and it can be it can even be more detailed if you want it to be more detailed. But I, I take the approach that the simpler uh, practices are the better ones. So let's start with creation, and that's good. You can drill down into that yourself. I, I'm assuming that you practice that. <laughs> I have thought about gardening. I just can't. Uh... <laughs> I can't do it well. Uh, we've found the only thing we don't kill are succulents, well, and uh, the the plastic ones are even better. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's part of it too. I there's something about even you don't even have to to grow it to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. There's something about um, again paying attention to the green spaces that are around us, the, mm -hmm. the, the bodies of water. I think you and I have talked about the Celtic spirituality in the past, and one of the things that they were really attentive toward was, was the way in which uh, rivers, streams, ponds, lakes, bogs uh, often became a thin place where God captured their attention, or at least in some way opened up their heart to being attentive. Now those things aren't God. I want to make sure that we say that. We're not we're not talking about worshiping <laughs> what he's created. That's true. That's true. That's a good disclaimer. <laughs> uh I, I totally agree. We've uh really feasted on seeing the ocean for 20 years and uh, enjoyed that. But also, we're close enough to mountains. I I love to go up at the Lake Arrowhead and oh. Big Bear Lake, and yeah, uh, the giant pine trees are just are gorgeous. Uh, I, I love that book that you referenced, um, and I had never heard of it until I read your book, the book on spiritual formation and the 80-some different ways to do this. 
Because I've noticed in my teaching, and this is just a note for all of the, uh, the pastors out there, when you get towards the end of the message and you're coming up with your application, it tends to go back to what you always say. Huh. You know, pray, read your Bible, be nice to your neighbor. Uh, but she has enough stuff in there that would be helpful for your congregation to kind of... Um, well, it's a little bit like if you go to the gym, and JK, I know that you're an avid weightlifter, uh, or at least there was a day, that if you do the same exercise over and over again, the muscle says, yeah. I'm not buying it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got to do the muscle confusion, and practicing up different spiritual practices goes a long way, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I'm thinking about, again, I'm, I actually pulled off my shelf for our conversation, uh, uh, Adele Calhoun's table of contents, and there are some things here. I was just with a group of uh, graduate students at Ozark, and we were talking about this particular resource, all the way from, I'll just read some examples, Rusty, from, um, she has a whole section on worship, celebration, gratitude, communion, Sabbath. Uh, she talks about examine. Uh, simplicity, slowing down, solitude, secrecy, detachment, hospitality. There's just a whole host of practices that can freshen up, um, uh, enliven what might have gotten dormant mm -hmm. in our own uh, cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And I think those are those have legitimate places. There's nothing... Rusty, I want to make sure I say this. There are certain non-negotiables, and I think I'm having a deja vu moment here where I think you and I have talked about this before. It is good and right to continue to practice things like word intake. Now, how you do that, it, it can be as varied as there are people and personalities out there in the world. A word intake, prayer intimacy, don't get don't get unattached to prayer intimacy, but how you do it, that can, that can be as, again, as varied as the, the sunrises that we have here in central Illinois. Uh, worship intensity, don't, don't get uh, untethered to worship, but how you do that, the practice of that, again, can be varied. So stay with those I think of them as non-negotiables. Stay with those non-negotiables, but think in terms of creativity and how you might practice them. If you're a, I'll, I'll give one little itty bitty example. If you're a, a, a primary word intake practicer, it might be good to stop doing it the way you've done it since you said yes to Jesus and do something else. Try a different translation. Um, it's a wonderful time to be alive. I was talking about this with someone the other day. There are some 50 different primary translations that you could simply say, I'm just going to read a gospel, and I'm going to read a gospel from this particular translation, and then I'll read a gospel from this particular translation, hmm. just to freshen up, enliven the practice of word intake. Hmm. That's so good. Yeah, I remember in college I was given a... Uh 
you know, a parallel Bible or it had multiple translations next to it. And that was part of our practice of prepping for the sermon worksheet. Um, And just seeing how they just change different words here and there, but say the same thing, it really livened it up. I think Peterson did that for a lot of us with the message that that, uh, freshened it up for all of us. Yeah. And Rusty, you're reminding me, I'm sorry to interrupt here. You're reminding me of uh, something in the last year that has grown in intensity in my own soul, and that is a a holy habit. I don't know what else to call it except gospel intentionality. Hmm. And in in a time when we seem to be incredibly cranky about race and politics and gender identity, uh, it's just really, I, I think, the holy habit of looking to build gospel bridges to people, just to authentically love them and care about them, can be a, a fresh uh, spiritual discipline. Uh, set aside the whole idea of trying to, in some way, convince somebody about an argument and simply strive to love them in a gospel fashion. Mm. The, the gospel, as I understand it, is far more panoramic than we have made it out to be. And it was always in God's heart before the foundation of the world that he was going to do something in the person of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world. Why can't I take that idea and just walk it into my everyday life and engage people in a loving and kind way I'm not trying to sell them anything, not trying to convince them of anything, but simply to love them authentically, what I'm calling gospel bridge building. Mm. Oh, there's a guy out in your neighborhood that I like a great deal, uh, Barry Corey. I think he's still at Biola and wrote this wonderful book called Love Kindness. And he talks about having uh, soft edges and a firm center. That's what I'm talking about here, just to have a habit that that does that very thing. Mm, that's really good. Uh, the book is fantastic, and for all of our listeners who think, well, I'm not much of a reader, or it sounds a little bit more academic, mm. friends, this is 148 pages. It is a joy to read. You could knock it out in an afternoon. And what I love about it is you give so many resources in here that can take you further. A lot of different books, a lot of different practices. And JK, I know that your intention was, let's make this big idea of the soul and formation palpable for everybody. And you've done it, buddy. This is uh, this is a Thank great you. work. Our- Rusty, I'm going to kick myself if I don't say this. So I'm going to say it right now. If not for the kindness of College Press, uh, Carl Halverson, some of our listeners will know Carl, and you you know Carl, mm-hmm. who's the president there, and then Angela, uh, I think she pronounces her last name, Blethen. Angela has been extraordinarily kind and helpful in getting this. I don't think much, <laughs> I got to say this, Rusty, I don't think much of my own writing. I, I, I feel like I'm a third grader. But they have been, they have been exceptionally uh, helpful in taking my heart, which was to make it readable and make it understandable for the the person who's walked with Jesus for fifty years, alongside the person who's just trying to sort out what it means to be a Jesus follower. 
they have made this thing possible. So I want to say thank you to College Press. Mm, they've done a great job. Yeah, Carl gave me the uh, the book. I saw him in Joplin a few weeks ago. When we were dropping kids off for college and. Uh, he's just such a blessing in my life, and he doesn't even know it. He's one of my first friends at Ozark, so uh, he continues to bless my life, as do you. So, J.K., thank you for your time. I pray your continued health and uh, no more craziness like cancer and kidney stones and COVID, <laughs> and I uh, hope that uh, God continues to use you in a great way, as he, as he certainly has uh, in my life. So thank you. Thank you, brother. Well, I always love talking to JK. He's just such a trusted friend and advisor in my life and soul. And hope you got something out of that. Share that with a friend. And the easiest way to make sure you get this podcast is just to hit subscribe wherever you get the podcast. It'll be delivered every single week. And next week, we'll be back with one of my heroes in ministry, a pastor that I had the chance to meet for the first time on this podcast. Uh, We were connected via the technology of Zoom, and I interviewed him, Dr. James Emery White, a pastor out in North Carolina, has written a brand new book to help pastors and people in their churches understand the value of digital church and physical church and how they go together. And so he's going to be with us next week. Make sure that you check that out. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Subsplash. And as always, keep it simple. Keep it simple.